Here at Doxaday Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. Today we're also kicking off with a brand new series called All Things New. And it is about how God's generous act of love makes all things new. That's the heart behind this whole series. I must say my little girl, Mika, surprises me so much all the time. She comes to me like the other day, Dad, 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 check out this video. Check out this video. Then she got a present from Oma and Opa and she decided she's climbing into the unboxing video thing. I didn't even know she knew what an unboxing video is, but she's doing it. I mean, mom sets up the camera, Mika's not in the shot. She takes out everything. And she's like, okay, okay. Guys, I'm going to be unboxing this. And she's like American English all the way through. And she's like opening it up. And like, ooh, cool, this cool thingy thingy. And Jesus says a lot of stuff about it. And which, wow, what an, analy- what an analysis of this new thing that you have. But I found it so funny that people love new things. Have you noted that? Whenever you get that opportunity to unbox, I mean, there's like a whole psychology behind it nowadays. People like create videos and they watch it just to feel better, you know. It's a, it's a therapeutic experience for them as they look at new things the whole time. But we are obsessed as a human being and a human race, a culture, with new. We want to have new things the whole time. That's what we long for. Now, you know what's so cool about that? The fact that God is making all things new, and that's the ultimate new. And that's what we're diving into today a little bit, because I believe today you hopefully will discover the full picture of the gospel. For so many people, the gospel is only Jesus died so that one day we can go to heaven. Who grew up like that? That you grew up with the idea that, listen, I'm a bad person. I've done wrong. Jesus had to die so that I can one day go to heaven. Anybody like that in the room? I had a few hands. Come on, don't lie to me. I know what you're thinking. Okay, great. So the only problem with that picture is two things. Firstly, the Bible. That's the first problem. Secondly, some logic. I mean, how many of you guys got baptized? And have you ever noted that in baptism, we don't hold you under so that you can just go to heaven? Logically, that does not make any sense. I mean, if Jesus died so you can go to heaven, let's get you to heaven like as soon as possible. So in the name of Jesus, go to heaven and boom, done. It's over and you're in heaven. That would have been amazing. Okay. Okay. So something clearly is missing in our picture of what the gospel actually is. And the reason for that is, is actually I want to call that gospel the two chapter gospel. The one chapter is sin. You're wrong, terrible, look at how bad this world is. Here are the Ten Commandments. How many of them have you broke? Oh, three already. You're, you're terrible. Okay, you're never going to make it into heaven. You need Jesus. Then you go to heaven. And then we have this whole chasm between death and life and hell in the middle. And you need to walk over and then you get into heaven finally. So Jesus had to come so that you can go to heaven. That's the two chapter gospel. Sin, salvation. However... That is not the full picture. There's actually four chapters to this wonderful good story. So I'd like to tell you guys the full picture this morning. So I hope you're ready for a story. This is going to be storytelling time, so you can sit back. I even got some nice pictures, so you can check out all the way through. And this story is not a story that begins once upon a time. 
It begins at the beginning of time. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth. And he made an amazing creation work. He had such a beautiful symmetry with his creation. The first three days, he creates by bringing order. So it tells us in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, that God creates and the earth was formless and void. There was chaos and there was nothingness. In fact, the right words there is tohu vavohu. Everybody say quickly, tohu vavohu. Okay, you feel it now, it's like it's down here, okay? And tohu vavohu really means, it means chaotic, no order, and emptiness, void, formless and void. So we have a problem. God creates and there's a problem. There's a problem of nothingness and chaos. And he addresses that chaos and that nothingness in the first three days by bringing order. And he divides light from dark and waters above from waters below and the earth from the chaotic waters of the sea. And then on day three, actually, not just bringing order, he has a little bonus creation act. Because on day three, he brings a lot of trees, fruit-bearing trees, creates them, and they plant it in the ground, and they grow. That's the picture of the first problem, the lack of order and chaos in the world dealt now with. The next three days, day four, five, and six, it's a beautiful symmetry that you see, God fills those places now that was empty, even though it's ordered, now with life. Day four, it's a beautiful symmetry. Day one, it was darkness and light. So he puts in sun, moon, and stars to rule over the night and rule over the day. That's like a symmetry, by the way, of humanity ruling over the earth. That's the picture there. Do you guys see what's happening? Okay, day number uh, day number five, in that vacuum we call atmosphere, there is now suddenly space for birds to fly and fish in the sea, fills that with life. And then day six, he creates all the animals that creeps on the earth and he does a little bonus creation act. He makes us, humanity, out of the ground, just like a tree. However, we are walking trees and we are called to bear much fruit as we rule and reign. As he mandates humanity, there you have it. We get the opportunity to rule over his creation. So here we have a picture of an almighty being that decides in all of his goodness to make you and me and place us right in the center of this picture of creation. He crowns us with the glorious honor and authority to rule and reign over his beautiful creation. Now, I've heard so many people asking me, now, why, if God is so good, why is he allowing so many bad things on this planet? Um, the question is very easy to answer, actually. It seems like, according to this worldview and this narrative, God placed you in charge of looking at this world and seeing that everything goes well. So the question should rather be aimed at, why am I not taking care of what God has given and entrusted to me. We see a very generous God, someone that trusts what he created and he empowers them to do the same. Another thing that's very interesting, especially with the two chapter gospel, maybe you've heard about this, like I've mentioned, one day go to heaven, there we go. So the aim behind that chapter gospel is that everything on this earth is bad. 
Ever, ever heard about that? Like it's, it's material things are bad. You need to stay away from them. That's kind of like not good. It's only going to be your soul and your spirit that will one day go to heaven. Anybody heard that picture? That's, that's Platonism. That is not Christianity. That's actually a Greek philosopher. According to God's narrative, he made the whole world and that whole world is materialistic. It's a lot of material things. And every time he made it, he says it's good. Never does he says, say it's bad. Okay, so there we have it. Picture is set up. Everything looks amazing. We create it. God creates a good world. He creates it for his glory. And we are the crown of that creation. We're the crown with his glory. Now, looks like everything is going to go well, except chapter 2 happens. Chapter 1 is called creation. Chapter 2 is called the fall. Now, this is the one that we always know very well. But I want you to realize that in chapter 1, we get the significance and the purpose behind why God created you. He created you to rule and to reign over his creation. And if in chapter 1, God says, guys, I mandate you to rule. Chapter 2, he's teaching you how to rule. Did you know that? God is teaching Adam and Eve how to rule over his creation. He starts off by giving them a great illustration. He brings Adam and he says, Adam, listen, I want you to rule and reign over the earth just like I ruled and reigned in my creation work. Um, I want you to name the animals. Did you know that you rule over the earth by naming things? Because the moment you name something, you bring order. You know what it is, so you know where it belongs and you know what it's used for. I said there's so many people that struggle with their emotions and they're going through rough times at this stage. And the number one thing that I try to tell them, just tell me, what do you feel? Give, give me a name. Give me the name. What are you feeling? Because if you can name it, you can tame it. Because then you know what it is. And in the same way, God ruled by saying, okay, I bring order. I separate darkness from light. And the darkness he called night. And the light he called day. And he names it. So that's the way we ought to be ruling over this world. We get to identify the things that God made. And we get to see and apply them into the places where they are made for. What's the purpose of this thing? And where does it belong? As God entrusts this beautiful world to us. And that's in every area of your life. That's what you're called to do. Now, God doesn't just extract us on how to rule. He actually empowers us as well. He tells us two other things that we need when we rule. The first one is, you never rule alone. And that's when he came to Adam and he said, Adam, I'm going to give you an Eve. You're going to need help to decide. Now, I don't know how that worked. It's going to be difficult because why did the lady get a mind? Only to change it. Okay? We discovered it yesterday again when we were driving. But I won't say anything too much, too far, too loud now. I really love my wife and I love my food and I love sleeping in a warm bed. So anyways, long story short, the reality is, is God made us to rule and he says it's not good that you rule alone. You're going to need a helper. Guys, have you ever connected with people that are going through tough times? Have you ever gone through a tough time? And the only thing that you actually really needed was another person coming to help you out of that deep, dark, terrible space in your life. And you were trying to do it by yourself. 
I'm going to think different. I'm going to think harder. I'm going to try better. I'm going to do this and this and this. But it's just not working. So when you want to rule a life, you need to do it with other people. Secondly, God says you do it with my perspective. So don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, determining good and evil in your own eyes. No, no, no. Look to my guidance. Rule as I say rule. So if you've identified this thing, put it in the place that it belongs as I say it belongs. So for instance, every single problem on this planet comes from us not doing that. So let's look at the picture of the God power. Do you know what's the God power? It is sex. We spoke about it not too far back. That's the God power. The power to bring forth within your own image and in your own likeness. God says, you have the gift of enjoying this, but only within a marriage. That's his picture. Where there's other people holding you accountable for this journey that you're walking. Do you guys see that picture? And if it's in that picture, lots and lots and lots of life. And here is where we get into the conflict moment of our story. Because looks beautiful garden. God made everything. We're busy changing the world until... This guy shows up. Big, ugly, talking snake. Ladies, <clears throat> just one little thing. If a snake ever talks to you, all I'm saying, run. That's, that's what I'm saying. It's just run. Because this is where the conflict comes into the story. The moment a part of God's creation shows up, it confronts the crown of his creation Crown is a picture of authority, guys, to rule and to reign. And it challenges God's view of what's good and what's not good. So there's a lot of stuff we can say about the snake and there's a lot of background that you may have and so on and so forth. But up until now in our story, all we know is it's something God created and it's the first time that his creation opposes what he says. That's actually what the word Satan means. It means the opposer. And that's exactly what this part of his creation, this snake shows up and he tells Eve, Eve, listen, let me tell you, God has got it all wrong. There is another picture of what's good and what's not good. Follow me and I'll show you. And he tempts them into not ruling as God created them to rule and to make themselves God, saying, God, you're a great advisor. I love your advice, but I make the decisions. I'm not going to listen to what you have to say. That makes me the king. And that moment brings death into the world. Okay, now I've many times spent some time on this, but I quickly just want to give a few examples. Whenever you think about anything that's bad in this world, it's because of that specific moment. When someone takes the right into their own hands to decide what's good and what's not good. I mean, look at Mr. Hitler himself. It's a great idea to kill all the Jews. That's a good picture in his own eyes. That was amazing. He was absolutely convinced that it's good. Did it turn out good? Absolutely not. We can bring it closer to home. Think about apartheid. Some people thinking it's great to discriminate and put down a system of discrimination that birthed out of that picture. It's clear that in our country, history tells us not good. That's not God's view. God's view is we're all equal and we love one another. That's his picture. Let's take it even more closer to home. How many times have you decided when you know God says 
not good. You decide. No, 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 no. It's good. I'm going that direction. How much pain and death has that brought into your life? Because that's the key. That's the moment where the rulers of this world missed it because they didn't listen to the one that created it. They didn't follow his steps. Do you guys get what I'm saying here? And then death entered and it's terrible. However, there is some good news because in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, God shows up and he speaks back to that speaking, talking snake and he tells him exactly what he thinks. And he says the following, I will put enmity between you and that woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And here we have the creator of the universe showing up and speaking to the one thing of his, one part of his creation that opposes. And we all know how we got to the snake. It's Adam, no, can't take responsibility, passive. It's Eve, Jesus, it's Eve. And Eve's like, no, no, it's not me, it's the snake. And the snake, I don't have a leg to stand on, I'm in trouble. Okay, so then God addresses the snake and he gives this promise, guys. Um, and the promise talks about three things. It talks about a man. An offspring coming from woman. A man born of a woman. Not of Adam, of a woman. That's the virgin. Secondly, this man will be in an epic battle with this new opposing power in God's creation. Battle? Next picture? No. Yes. Do you see the epic? I just want to put it in there. Story time. So you guys need to see that epic battle. And then finally in this battle, he will get wounded. Next picture. As he crushes this evil snake's head. So we have this picture of a man born of a woman who becomes a wounded victor and will ultimately deal with the evil in God's creation. Does that sound like a guy you might have heard about before? Sounds a little bit like Jesus. And that brings us to chapter number three in our story. Here we have Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary. And then this Jesus, this man that's supposed to come and confront all evil in God's good creation, this opposing power in his creation, also finds himself in a garden. The garden of Gethsemane where he's confronted with this one big choice, whether he's gonna go and claim goodness in his own eyes or submit to God's view of what's good and what's not good. So he's standing before that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And according to the story, that moment, God says, it's good for Jesus to go and kill himself. And when you hear that, I think I've mentioned it the past times, a few times as well, but if you hear that picture, if you just hear someone coming to you and telling you, you know what, Jesus told me I should go kill myself. What do you think? You're thinking, dude, I think you need to go and check out a doctor. You're not okay. <laughs> okay? That's the picture. So it's a clearly not a good instruction that's coming from the Father. Yet Jesus submits even unto death. He walks it out and he dies. And actually he speaks about this death. I quickly want to show you guys that. John chapter 12 verse 24, he says the following. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and it dies, it remains only a single seed. And he's speaking about himself. Here we have someone in a garden speaking about a seed 
that needs to die so that there can be more fruit coming from that seed. And this person who would actually be that seed would go all the way through to the cross and he would die on a cross, ultimately confronting, saying, this opposing power that brought death into the world, bring me your best, kill me and let's see what happens. And then what does it say? It says Nicodemus came, took Jesus down. Interestingly enough, John chapter 19 verse 41 talks about how Nicodemus takes Jesus down and they go and lay him in a tomb that is in a garden. So here we see that beautiful seed being planted in a garden going under the ground. And then three days later, a lady by the name of Mary comes crying, thinking Jesus has been stolen. And then there's someone coming to her and she says the following, thinking he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. I find it so interesting that the moment the seed was planted and the next moment it comes up out of that ground, out of that grave, the first thing that this lady thinks when she sees Jesus is he's maybe the gardener. Now, I want you to think back a little bit. Wasn't there, who's the first gardener ever in all of Scripture? Back in Genesis, we have Adam. And he was called to cultivate the earth. He's the first real gardener. He's going to make things happen. And the next moment, here we have a second Adam. But he's not only just a second Adam. He's actually the other tree. There's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now we have the tree of life himself that was planted that comes out of the grave. And we see for the very first time, God is making all things new. And he started with Jesus. He's the picture of the new creation. That brings us to chapter number four of our story. Oh, sorry. I forgot this. This is super important. Paul says it as follow. Check it out on the screen quickly. Just in chapter 3 quickly. He says the following. For if by the traces of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in this life through the one man, Jesus Christ. What's he saying? Guys, he's saying if we're putting our trust in God's generous love, we are a new creation that gets to reign right now. Not going to heaven one day, bringing heaven to earth right now. And that's chapter four. Because in our story of the Bible, we always have this pattern of garden to city. Gardens to cities. Genesis chapter one started in the garden of Eden and it ended in the city of Babylon. Terrible stuff happened. Now, Garden of Gethsemane and the book of Revelation tells us that it will end up in a new city, the city of Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. And I want you to read with me Revelation chapter one, verses one to five. I'm gonna read a few verses and then I'm gonna stand still at some of them. It says the following. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. 
I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, I want to quickly stop here just for a moment. There's a lot of things going on out there and a lot of messages that's going on regarding this portions of Scripture, especially the book of Revelation. I mean, the funniest one that I've ever heard before about verse chapter two, oh, chapter 21 verse 2 that talks about the new Jerusalem coming down is people saying, guys, it's a physical picture of Jerusalem. Now, if you know, it's golden walls and it's like a cube and measurements. It's like a crazy picture that's given. And there's people saying, okay, now it's going to be up there in space. And when Jesus comes, we're going to be able to beam up there and come down again. That's going to be the picture of the new Jerusalem. And I was like, okay, guys, we're totally missing this. I mean, just in this verse, it talks about the new Jerusalem and the next moment, it's a beautiful bride prepared for her husband. So it's clear that it's not a physical picture here. It's a metaphorical picture. And do you know what the metaphor is that's being described here? Well, Jerusalem is being described as a perfect cube, literally a perfect cube. Do you know there's another thing in the Bible described as a perfect cube in measurements? Only one thing. And the whole Old Testament described as that. It's in Solomon's temple. It's the Holy of Holies, built in the form of a perfect cube, the place where God's presence reside. But in this picture, it's no longer just God sitting in that space. It's all of His people, all the nations, everybody coming together in that same space with Him. The New Jerusalem, by the way, guys, is God's church. You are part of that. It's happening right now. And it's also a city coming from heaven down and not from earth up. Where do you build cities? What's the foundation of every city that we build? It's from the ground up. Here we have something new. It's from heaven down. This is God initiative. This is not man. It's not another religious thing. This is God doing something new. And the new thing that he's doing is he's uniting his people with him. That they may rule and reign with his perspective and with his help over this broken world, and I might do it right now. And then this thing climaxes in verse five, where it says, the, the, the king and the glory sitting on the throne in the midst of the new Jerusalem saying, I am making all things new. That's the picture. So where are we now? That's our four chapters, creation, fall, redemption, and then this beautiful restoration journey. Where are we now? Well, we're somewhere in chapter 4. We're busy and we're part of God's making everything new mission. And he started by making you new. The day you were born again. That's a new you. And then he's tasking you to go out there and love your neighbor and be a role player in making their life new. And then he's saying, go to all the earth, all the different cities, all of my creation to see that the whole world will be made new. If you've ever wondered why we're doing street store, why we're busy with our pizza home, why we're saying generosity is a huge thing for us, it's because we're part of that mission. We're a family on a mission to see that this city change into the new picture that God has always dreamed about for you and for me. And for the next of these three weeks, we're going to stop at each one of these points. And we're going to look at the lady, the woman at the well, 
who was made new by her encounter with Jesus. Then she ran back and she told everything and everybody, come find and see the man that made me new, made her neighbor new. And then ultimately it says right at the end of that story, how the whole town came together and said, we no longer believe because of your testimony. We've seen for ourselves and a whole town has been made new. So I wanna ask you, do you think God can use you to make this city new? Because that's why Jesus came and is inviting you in on that journey. Let's pray. Dad, as we are looking at this beautiful, beautiful story of how we've given up our authority and we were tricked out of it and you've brought it back through Jesus Christ, I pray that we would no longer just settle by sitting and waiting around to one day go to heaven, but that we would see, as you've called us to pray as well, to see your kingdom come and your will be done right here on earth as it is in heaven. I want to pray for households, for businesses, for relationships, even struggling relationships, for marriages, for families. I pray that today you would birth new faith in our hearts. Faith to see that you can make all things new, even my marriage, even my enemies, even the worst of the worst, you can make them new. If today you're saying, Jesus, I'm part of that mission. I want to give my life to that. I want to just quickly put up your hand. I want to pray for you. You don't have to stand. You can just quickly put it up. Amen. Thank you so much. Give me the faith to go out there and be an agent of change. Amen. Yes. Jesus, for every hand and every heart that's open this morning to say, Jesus, I want to be a city changer. I want to change this world into the place where you reign, where your goodness and where your life and your amazingness thrives. I'm open to that. Use me. Holy Spirit, come and guide me. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all say, Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.